Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us on this wonderful Memorial Day weekend. We're beginning a new series today. It's called Signs, Signs of Connection. And I want to talk to you about connections because we've never lived in a time where we've had more connections available for us. Information connections. I mean, it's just a, we, we tap on a button and all of a sudden we got the world at our fingertips and we can, we can like it or, or kind of move on. We have relational connections and the opportunity to connect with different people and to know what's going on in their lives without writing a letter and waiting for snail mail to happen. We have loads of interactions. I mean, it, now is the time where we can voice our opinion and we all have a platform to express ourselves. But in a midst, in the midst of, of so many appearances of connection, we're still lonely. We still feel isolated. As I talk to people, they wonder, I don't have any meaningful, I mean, deep, meaningful relationships that know me. And also in this information age where we just have tons of stuff throwing, uh, being thrown at us, there's also the, the, the picture of worry and anxiety in us. And so when we gather together, I think it's important that we walk away with three things. Number one, assurance. We need the assurance that we are right with God. And I, I see that. There, we need that confidence and comfort that God is for us. He's not against us. And that when we trust in Christ, we're saved. And there's a certainty to our eternal future. If you could walk away from that every week that we gather together with that assurance, my goodness, guess what? Just guess what evaporates is fear and worry. I think we also need belonging, right? Belonging that we're accepted in the family of God, that we're welcomed here, that we're loved and embraced. Not just tolerated, but loved and accepted, fully known, completely loved by God, our creator. And then we want to leave here with a guidance from God, right? We want to know that God is active in our lives. He's not passive. He's aware and he cares. And he's interested and involved in our lives. Well, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at these connections, connections to God, his word, and people. Those are our three top values here at Fellowship Bible Church, God, his word, and people. And we're about everyone finding and following Jesus Christ. And so I hope you'll give this series uh, an, an opportunity, a window, a door into your life So that you can practice these three ancient practices that we're going to be talking about that were there from the beginning of the church, the New Testament church, when they trusted in Christ. We're going to be talking about the value today of confession. Next week, we're going to be looking at what what God does in communion. And then, and we're going to celebrate communion together next week. And then the week after that, we're going to be looking at baptism and what God shows us through baptism. And with each of these signs of connection with God, his word, and people, we're going to each have the opportunity, an invitation for you to connect with God, his word, and people. Let's talk about this first one, this uh, this practice of confession. What do we mean by confession? 
If you come from a Catholic background, it usually means I go on Friday, I confess my sins to the priest, the priest says, say this many Hail Marys, and you're out. And then life kind of goes on until next Friday, and you do the same again. So confession to you might be an event or a thing I've got to do. Confession in the scriptures, confession in the scripture involves three things. Number one, it acknowledges, it acknowledges your condition. Secondly, it accepts or receives God's provision. And then thirdly, it commits to God's direction. We're going to look at each of these, but ultimately the greatest confession that we can make together is the confession of Jesus. Because it's in Jesus that in our worst moment, we have the best opportunity to be forgiven, to be saved. It's in Jesus, who's our Savior, who delivers us from sin and death. It's in Jesus who leads us and we follow. I want to point your attention to John chapter 10, verse 9. Paul says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what biblical confession is. If you confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I uh, grew up in the 80s, and so um, my generation doesn't like to admit that we have issues. We, we tend, to, tend to hide them or cover them with success or with accomplishments or uh, with uh, throwing ourselves into the next angle of pleasure or the next opportunity to consume something. And in my time, there was a theologian who was also an artist named Kenny Loggins. <laughs> I, I came really close to wearing that outfit while I was teaching this morning, but I decided to pull back on that. He's everything you don't want music to be. But he sang a song. I'm all right. Nobody worry about me. You know what I'm talking about? If you watch Caddyshack, you know what I'm talking about. It's, but the reality is, and I think that the Bible confronts Kenny on this, is that we're not all right. And there's a lot to worry about me. We are. We have to realize that it's, it's not okay. We're not, it's not just a result of us consuming the next thing or getting the next thing. Or if I have that, then I'll be more complete. Ultimately, we need to know why we confess and what do I need to confess? And for that, Paul guides us to the, in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to begin with just verse 8 and we'll go through verse 10 today. I hope you have your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, um, you can get up right now. Don't mind that you do. And grab one at the uh, wooden tables on the side there. And if you don't have a Bible, keep this. It's our gift to you. If you do have a Bible at home, well, bring it next week and uh, leave this so we can give it to someone else. Feel free to do that. Ephesians chapter 2, I'll put it up on the screen behind me. It says this, Paul says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's talk about the first element of confession. What is confession and what do we confess? The first thing is what confession is, is confession is ultimately recognizing my condition. And what do we confess? We confess our sin. 
because we realize that something is wrong with us. We're not just the people we don't want to be, or we aren't just the people who fall short of our expectations. We fall way short of God's expectations, and we can't save ourselves. This is a reality within us that we try to avoid, and many of us can choose to reject this reality and, um, and live without any type of restraint or any accountability for it. We can choose to excuse it. We can say, hey, there's, you know, I'm all right. Nobody worry about me. There's nothing wrong with me. It's you. And I would be fine if it weren't for you or for what you did to me. And we're the victim and they're the villain. We can choose to ignore it and just throw ourselves into the next distraction. We can try to meet the requirement of perfection. We call this perfectionists. It is difficult to live with a perfectionist. Because you fall short and they fall short and you're always tired and you're always a disappointment. And so they, no nudge zone. I'm seeing some people nudge right now. No guilt and shame. It's just what we do, right? We can pour ourselves into being good with the hope, with the expectation. But can I ask that question? How good is good enough? And the answer is you can't be. You can't be. Or we can choose to admit it and confess it. I love what Psalm 130 says this. Look what it says when it looks at our sin. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who would stand? Think about that. Can you get the image in your mind? God has this really big book and it's your life. It's got your name written on it. And every time you sin, every time you think something, there's a check mark. And, 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 and how big is that book, by the way? I know some of you who think pretty highly of yourself, not that big. It's a little pamphlet, actually. But if you really understand, if you really understand, it's a huge book. But that's not our God. We wouldn't stand with him. God had this massive book like Santa Claus, keep in charge of when you've been naughty or nice. None of us would stand. None of us would stand. But what that does is it admits, right? It recognizes my condition. I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. You know, as God collects you and collects us and brings us together as a church family every weekend, I think about how many of us are trying to live to impress God. How many of us are really just trying to do the next thing? The next thing, or or just trying to stack it up because we have the mentality that God's up there going, oh, good job, you were nice to her today. Oh, you were bad to her today. That's going to take five nice things to say that one word you said to her yesterday, which I won't quote you on. No, God is not like that. If he were to do that, none of us would stand. Another passage is this, Psalm 38, 18. It says, I confess my iniquity. It recognizes your condition. I am sorry for your sins. So there's one one thing to say, I am a sinner, but it's another one to go, and I, I don't like that about me. I don't like that about me. I am sorry for my sin. There are two types of sorrow in the world. There's worldly sorrow and there's godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is sorry you got caught. It's, It's like you're cheating on a test and the teacher catches you and you're more upset at the teacher than you are disappointed in yourself. It's when your wife catches you on porn and you're ticked that she caught you rather than that you're on porn. 
It's when they find that there's an inappropriate relationship going on and you're more upset and more covering that you got caught than the the reality that your heart has drifted and gone away. Folks, this is real stuff. And in my sin, when I'm covering for myself, I get more ticked that I get found out than what's real about me. Godly sorrow, on the other hand, is a real heart. It's a heartfelt sorrow that I've sinned against God. If you want a proof text on this, look at Psalm 51, where David is caught. He cheated on his, uh, on another man's wife and, and commits adultery. And he says against you and you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. That's a godly sorrow. And the cure to sin is the beginning of godly sorrow. When you are sorry that you did that to God, sinned against him and the other person. You're not trying to protect yourself. We've got to move beyond worldly sorrow. That's the protection of ourselves. And then um, Romans 3.23, the most well-known verse about sin. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, here's something to know about our sin is many times with my sin, if I don't bring God into the mix and I don't confess to him, I will just compare myself to you. And I choose the topic, right? And it's usually not a topic I'm struggling with that I'll compare myself. It's one that I feel superior to. And so that self-righteousness can creep in and I can be better than you in some areas. And guess what? You can be better than me in other areas. But God never compares you with anyone else. Do you hear that? God never compares you with the person sitting next to you. So stop it. He only compares you with Christ. (gasps) Yes, right. Christ. Perfect. Perfect. You are compared with perfection. And therefore, we all fall short of the glory of God. When we recognize it, there's going to be the temptation when you recognize your condition for you to do one of two things, to either confess it, come clean with the Lord, or to cover it. And folks, we have a long history. Humanity has a long history covering our sins. It starts with Adam and Eve. God created this beautiful environment. At the end of Genesis chapter 2, we're talking about the second chapter of the first book of the Bible, okay? It ends like this. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were fully exposed fully vulnerable, and they accepted and they loved each other. But then they chose to walk away from God. They chose to live life on their own terms. They ate the fruit they were commanded not to, and everything went down, and they crashed, and they fell into sin. You know what the first thing they did? They covered up their bodies. God said, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Adam said, the woman you put here with me. And Eve said, the serpent you made tempted me. I mean, and we've been covering ever since. And covering takes a lot of time. Covering takes a lot of energy. But when, let me just say this. It's almost instantaneous with God. When we recognize our condition, he covers us. Because just like with Adam and Eve, God covered them. He covered, first of all, their bodies. But what did he cover them with? Animal skins. 
Animals had to die so that they would be covered. And that was the pattern. Without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness of sins. And so that whole pattern started developing that God would cover his people and he would recover his people and recover and kept recovering his people until Jesus came and he lived perfectly. He was the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. He died finally on the cross, paid the price, complete covering for all. One died for all. And so they're all for all can be saved through Christ. He's the final covering. That's the second thing confession does is confession receives God's provision. Just doesn't recognize my sin. I don't know if you've ever gone to church and just left like this. You know, I'm a horrible person. I'm, well, the second God never wants you uncovered. He will cover you. But we have to come to him to be covered. We have to make that decision point in our lives where we stop trying to cover. And I've tried it. I've tried covering myself for years. Even with Jesus, I've tried covering inconsistencies in my character by success in ministry or by the next message or by the next growth angle to Fellowship Bible Church. And I always come back to the same point. I am uncovered until Jesus covers me. We all have to come back to the point because confession receives God's provision. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, not only grace are you saved through faith, it's the gift of God. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's not a result of works. This is a free gift. And so what we have to do is receive Christ as we would receive a gift where we stop trying to earn it. We stop trying. We start trusting. Grace is a gift where we don't get what we deserve from God, but we receive what we've always longed for, a love a love relationship with our creative creator God, the forgiveness of our sin, the restoration of our lives, the belonging in his family. I love what Psalm 32 says. Psalm 32, five says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, Lord, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. See, it's almost instantaneous. When you confess, there is forgiveness. Forgiveness, because God loves to cover his kids. Don't be afraid of coming clean with God because he's the only one who can wash you clean. We can't clean up ourselves. It'd be like having muddy hands trying to clean off a white shirt. We can't do that, only Christ. It has to come from the outside, has to come from God. And we have to receive that. By faith, we have to stop trying and start trusting in the only one who can save us. I love it. And here's the promise. First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise of God. Confess. What? And then forgiveness and cleansing comes through Jesus. Another passage is is, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Again, 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise from God. You know, there's, there's people who think that in the Old Testament, God's this really angry old man who's ju- has judgment and his righteousness and he doesn't mess around. And in the New Testament, he kind of mellows and is kind of has grace and is loving and is kind again. But that's not the picture of the biblical God. The true scriptures share that God has always been this. Confess your sins, find that covering. Confess your sins, find that cleansing. This is what Paul quotes from Old Testament, mind you. This passage originally was in the Old Testament. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now, wherever you're at, stop trying and start trusting. Call on the name of Jesus who is the author and perfecter of your faith. He is the one who completes you with God. He is the one who we come to and we admit, we recognize our condition and we receive his provision. But we also, confession commits to God's direction. You don't just recognize your condition and receive his provision. When you confess Christ, you commit to his direction. You say he is alive and he is Lord over everything in your life. We lay down our lives to follow Jesus. Did you realize that? You give up your rights to follow Jesus. He is Lord over your life. Look at how the scriptures detail it. In Matthew 3, verse 8, the scriptures are, Matthew is sharing John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's message in preparing people's lives for Jesus was this. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, start living your lives in a way that Jesus is leading you. God's going to lead you through this. The biblical word for repentance is a change. It's a change of mind on who you are and who God is in your life. It's a change of of uh, faith on trusting yourself or trusting in Christ is a change in direction. And so Christians are committed to change. Do you realize that? I had um I had a woman who met with me one time. This is many years ago and she said, okay, I really love fellowship and I love uh, everything the church is about. But here, this is who I am. This is my lifestyle choice. I'm not changing. Will I be welcomed here? I said, of course you'll be welcomed here. But you won't be following Jesus. Because every follower of Jesus has the pattern of change. And I can't come with any issue in my life that I like to live on my terms with my desires and my passions. I don't have the right as a follower of Jesus to say, okay, I can do whatever I want, say what I want, love who I want. And, and that's okay with Je- It ought to be okay with Jesus. No, because a follower of Jesus has a pattern of change. And so we're changing. You don't want to change. Don't follow Jesus. You want to stay the same. You want more of the same. Don't follow Jesus. He is going to change you. He is radically committed to reforming your heart, to take you off of the addiction of yourself and into a passionate love for Jesus, to make him greater, not your agenda on earth as it is in heaven, but his will on on earth as it is in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, there was that pattern in the church in Thessalonica. Paul noticed, he said this, I saw how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 
I know it's easy in an ancient world, in an ancient environment to go, yeah, those were the idols they put up there. And do we have them today? Well, of course we do. In India, you know, 1.5 billion people have idols that they worship to. And you have family idols, and there are a lot of them, and they've just been passed on to the generation. So part of your culture and your family in India are the many gods that you worship. But when you come to Jesus, you call one God your father, and you serve one God alone. But in our context here in the United States, we're much too more developed to have other gods than Jesus, right? Yeah, we're much more mature than that. That's India. No, no, we have gods. We just drive them and live in them and wear them and collect them. And we may not bow our knee to them, but we bow our checkbook to them. We bow our thinking and our dreams to them. We have what's called the American dream, which could be an idol in itself. And we have to have that pattern of turning to God from all other idols to serve the living and true God. That ought to be what people say about Fellowship Bible Church. We heard, we heard that people out here said, man, You used to worship the golf course. You used to worship the next car wash. You used to worship your house. You used to worship that next year, the accomplishments of your children. But now you turn from that to serve the living and true God. There's that pattern. Wasn't it Jesus? Yes, it was Jesus who said in Luke 23, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is a new direction. And we all have to lay our lives down and say, not my will, but your will be done. Three things confession is. They tell us why we confess and they show us what to confess. Number one, we recognize our condition. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Number two, the moment we do that, instantaneously with God, we receive, if we trust in Christ, We receive his provision, the person and the work of Jesus who lived, who died, who rose again for us, and we commit to his direction in our lives. Let me just ask you three questions related to these confessions. First of all, when you think about your condition, do you see it? Do you see it? Because Jesus confronted a lot of people who couldn't see it. And they were very religious people who went to their place of worship Every week, sometimes multiple times. And if it were done and achieved by works, they would be representative of that. But they could not see that they could not save themselves. Do you realize that? I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. That is a good first thought for your morning. (laughs) You may think that's the worst thought I could have. Yeah, but that's where Jesus meets you. We need to be in a constant dependence and humility of who we are. And then... Can I just say why this is so important? Because Christians aren't better than anyone else in this world. I grew up in church. I thought I was better than a lot of people in this world. And you could point a finger at an atheist and claim in all the things they don't believe in, whatever. But I've known atheists who are kinder and gentler and more compassionate than Christians. We're not here because we deserve to be here. We're not here because we've lived to a level that God says, oh, now you're in. Come on. Before, yesterday, not so much. 
But today, no, we can't do that. We cannot save ourselves. Do you see it? Secondly, do you get it? That at that point where you confess your sin, do you get it that only Jesus can save you? It's at that point of humility. God doesn't leave you in a vacuum. Because that's where he opens your eyes to see Jesus did this. Who lived for me? Jesus did. He lived perfectly. I can't live perfectly. He did. Who died for me on a cross? That's the whole picture. If you've been following Christianity on Facebook and you see the cross, the cross is the point in time where God died for you. The Lamb of God who paid the price for our sin. And at the cross, God said, complete. Enough. Paid off. Paid in full, stamp the death of Jesus. And it was this Jesus who rose from the dead on the third day and defeated the power of sin and death. And do you get it? That everything you've been longing for, every that longing for your soul is met in the person and the work of Jesus. Do you get it? And if you do, then will you? Will you commit to God's direction? Confession says, I see it. I get it. I will follow Jesus. And you know what? I don't know that I could tell you what it's going to look like for you to follow Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen in your life. There's been some Christians who they felt this tremendous burden lifted from them. And there's other people who in their initial uh, few months or years with Jesus were really difficult because they were addicted to the next God in this world. And they had to allow God to really move and reform their passions and their desires for life. And what's right and what's wrong in life. And our works, our works don't save us, but God has saved us for good works. And that's why we are God's masterpiece. We're his workmanship. Uh, The English word poetry comes from that word, the Greek word workmanship. In other words, we're God's artistic expression. We're his masterpiece. And we're created to reveal who God is and to step away from ourselves to do that. Will you? So, how do we do this? Well, I want to lead us in a time of confession. Because some here in this room right now, just like in every service we held this weekend, some of us have hung around here for a while, but we've never personally confessed Jesus Christ in our lives. Some have been in this room religiously active, but we've never taken the personal step of faith in confessing the object and the person of our faith. His name is Jesus, and we need to do that. Some of us have been working for this. We come from a background of performance, and we've just moved into the faith angle where I just got to perform and do more. But God says, done. In Christ, paid in full, and we have to stop trying and start trusting. Others of us have been hanging on to our own personal saviors. If we didn't feel we could make it with God, we've tried to impress each other, but we still end up always wanting to show the best of ourselves and always wanting to run away from the worst of ourselves. And Jesus says, be real with yourself. Confess your condition. Confess your salvation. Commit to my direction. That's the opportunity for all of us. When is the time to do this? 
You know, I've presented the gospel now since I was 12 years old. I've shared the gospel with people. And it really is good news that you don't have to try. It's not in you doing. It's you entrusting what God has done. And I used to present it like this. If you were to die today and stand before the presence of God, and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell him? And most people I ask that question to, this is even inside the church, would say, well, basically, I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as that person. And we all have that person in our lives. Axe murderers, I found out, have that person that they're not as bad for. And we can bolster ourselves for that person. And then I ask another question. Hey, what percentage would you say, what kind of confidence do you have that you would get into heaven based on that answer? And here's what I hear. 60%. 60%. And the answer to that is, so you have a 40% certainty of hell. That's no way to live. That's no way to live. Some of us may not make it through the day, but here's something that certainly all of us, all of us don't want to live the next minute without the assurance of our faith, without belonging to the family of God, and without walking in the direction that God wants for us. Don't worry about the last moment. Think about the next moment. Because that is what I want everyone to walk away from here today with, is a confidence and assurance. You're God's. He's yours. Christ is covering you, that you are fully and finally forgiven through Christ and that you're following him. That's what I prayed for this weekend, just as I prepared during this time. So I want to give you a time to personally confess. Let's do that right now. Would you just bow your heads? And uh, just to clear away any distractions you have, anything happening in the room right now or outside the room right now, just bow your heads and talk to God. Say this, Jesus I recognize who I am. I'm a sinner. You see it, and I see it. If there's certain sins you want to confess to him now, just confess it. Tell him what's real about your heart. By the way, you're not going to surprise him. He's not going to reel back. He sees it already, and he's joyful that you see what he sees. And tell him this. I can't save myself. But you can. Therefore, I receive who you are and what you have done for me. I receive Jesus and his work on the cross for me. That was full and final. My sins are paid in full because of Jesus. I trust him. I turn from my sin to trust him. And tell him, commit to his direction for your life. You may have been wandering through life, but now you want to know and follow his will for you. You may not know what that means, but you want the faith to trust him with the next decision of what that looks like. So just say, God, your will be done on earth, in my life, as it is in heaven. Now, If you confessed Christ for the first time, for the first time, I want you to look up at me. No one else looking around, but if you did for the first time, just look up at me. Thank you. Thanks. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for these people in this room that you have brought here who now have the assurance of a faith in Jesus. Lord, I thank you for uh, just showing us our condition, but not walking away, but covering us through Jesus, who lived and died and rose again for us. And may we be men and women who love you with all of our hearts, who are humble towards you and your word, and can be corrected, can be taught in life, because we lay down our lives to follow you, whatever direction you have us. And thank you. Thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.